when I think of the good dirt, I just think of super healthy soil. Then what comes from super healthy soil? Super healthy vegetables and then super healthy people. And then basically the world just becomes a better place with some really good dirt. And then I think from the perspective of your podcast, okay, how cool is it that a mother-daughter duo is telling the stories and sharing the stories and voices of so many different people from around the world and that you guys came together to create an awesome passion project and getting to make new friends and share ideas through your love of the earth. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts. Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Good morning, Mom. Good morning, Emma. Something that I love so much about this podcast and this project and Lady Farmer and all the wonderful people that we meet is hearing about people's journeys and where they started from and where they have been and where they want to go, looking at what is my impact and how do I want to live every day and what do I feel like is missing and how can I make that for myself. There seems to be this really beautiful fun way of looking at your life in these terms. I just think it's a really fun place to connect with people. And I thought that we could chat a little bit about our own, I'm calling it a slow living journey, but I think it's also a sustainability journey up until this point. I imagine anyone listening is somewhere along the spectrum too of either wanting to be more sustainable or considers themselves pretty well versed in this area. So I think it's always fun to, to check back in and, and talk about our own journey. So, yeah. Briefly, if you wouldn't mind sharing your, I guess, elevator pitch of like what your sustainability journey is. Oh, wow. So, first of all, I want to say that I feel like your generation is so far ahead of where I was in terms of even thinking about these things or being conscious of these things. And I, I just think... That's probably the way it should be. That's probably the natural order of things where each generation is a little more evolved in certain ways, not always. Mm -hmm. But I would love to have been so aware of all these things when I was your age. I also feel very, very grateful that I've had these years to develop my own, what we now call slow living journey. I don't think it had a name before Lady Farmer, but especially since Lady Farmer, we really put a name to this. I'm just so grateful for the learnings in the community and all the things that I've been able to explore through this platform. And I just want to tell people out there that, and we say this all the time, but it just is worth repeating over and over again, that you just, you start small and you start with little things and you just start by paying attention and you will see change. You will feel better. 
you will look at things differently. And it won't be a chore or a task. It'll be something that comes very naturally to you as a true desire to do things differently. What about you specifically? And what's a moment Mm -hmm. kind of in the beginning? And then what's a moment like more recently in the past few years where something else shifted, maybe even in a different direction? What are a couple of those things? Because I think it relates to our, our conversation today with our guest. Yeah. So real specifically, I think when I became aware of the problems in fast fashion, which is something that had been not on my radar before. I was just mm-hmm. like everybody else, unconsciously just buying whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when I learned about fast fashion and you and I decided to start Lady Farmer, and we learned all these things. And then it started transferring to other things, other purchases, other decisions that I was making in my life, other consumer decisions. And now, more than six years later, I realized that my consumer and living habits are really different than before. And I don't feel like I have to live this way. It's something that it doesn't feel like pressure. It just feels like the way I want to do things. Does that answer yeah, your question? Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. I think for me, similarly, I really started living this way growing up with you as a mom, just really aware of, you know, recycling and eating healthy food. And by healthy, I mean organic, no chemicals, all that. You were very into that. And then the personal responsibility part came in also, like you said, when I learned about fast fashion, because I thought, wait a second, I consider myself somewhat environmentally minded and I love clothes and I buy them a lot. So this is somewhere where I'm unconsciously participating in this thing. So that's obviously where we started Lady Farmer. And then I think over the course of Lady Farmer, the biggest thing that's changed for me is I think at the beginning of Lady Farmer, and it's probably been said even on this podcast, I was 100% like the power is with us. It's The power is with the people. That is how we change. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, I do definitely believe that's true. And I believe in personal responsibility. But I think in the, the greater problem of whatever you want to call it, climate change, the world, the environment deteriorating around us, we're not going to solve it by buying greener things. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that's something that I thought was possible at the beginning of this project. And that's since shifted for me. Something else has shifted is I used to think, oh, talking about it isn't enough. You have to do something. But I think talking about it is necessary. Yes. Talking about it is so necessary. So obviously I think that (laughs) because we have a podcast. (laughs) But those are the biggest things that I think have changed for me in this journey. So I would respond to that. If you ask me, do do our individual actions shift things? The answer is yes and no. No to the extent that if I'm the only one that's composting my food, for instance, instead of throwing it in the trash, if I'm the only one doing that, no, it's not going to shift things. But to your point, if we get on here and talk about it over and over again, like we do, or any number of things we talk about, ways to avoid plastic, what you choose to buy, we get on and we talk about that a lot and we have new listeners all the time and people may be hearing these things for the first time or the hundredth time, whatever, then that does have an impact when people do change. And again, to my earlier point, I think I can safely say this, when you make these changes, they become so inherent, they become so so much a part of you that it doesn't feel like a task or work or something that has right. to be overcome. It just is. It's the way you want to be. 
And again, about the food waste and so forth. And I don't mean to sound hyperbolic, but, you know, composting, turning our food waste into compost is really a joy because I realize what it's doing. And to not do that, to throw my food in the trash now actually kind of hurts. So I don't do it, but if I had to do it, if I was in a situation where I had to do it, in a place where there was no other option, it would hurt. So these decisions over time have changed me. So that's what I would call my slow living journey. (laughs) If you are looking to change, to start making different decisions, to examine each of these different aspects that seem really overwhelming, a great place to start is the Lady Farmer Slow Living Challenge. Oh, yeah. We have done it every year for the past few years around this time in January, February. And this year we are starting all together on February 6th. That's a Monday. And you need to sign up for it specifically so that you get all the right emails and so that you're following along exactly. And we will give you prompts and things to do or not do and just think about (laughs) every day, every week for four weeks. So it's a full month uh, transformational experience, slow living challenge. And it's a really fun thing to do as a community. Yeah. And we're all into slow here. So it's kind of our new year reset. So that's the slow living challenge. And if you'd like to join us for the slow living challenge, you can sign up at the link in our show notes. It'll also be easily found on our Instagram page and on our website at ladyfarmer.com. It is free to participate, totally free. So keep <laughs> keep your eyes peeled. Back. Yeah. I, I want to speak to that a little bit. The slow living challenge is something that you get to decide exactly how you want to approach it. And you get to decide your level of engagement. Um, but as Emma said, it's at least some things to think about. Mm-hmm. And we know Definitely. from talking to a, a lot of guests and people who have done this before, sometimes people enter into something like this and it becomes stressful and angst-driven and guilt-driven and just feels like something that's insurmountable. And I think our conversation today speaks to that a little bit, don't you, Emma? I do. I do. Today we're talking to Julia Blanford. She is a graphic designer and content creator who has a background in digital marketing. And we found her through her podcast. And so she has had this lovely podcast going for um, a while now, talking about all different topics in the sustainability realm, like this podcast. And when I found her and I listened to her most recent episode at the time, she was expressing some things so openly and vulnerably about, you know, I have the sustainability podcast and I started it with this mission and I was talking about these things and now I'm thinking about these things and it's different. And, and I just was really struck by her, her openness and her willingness to question herself and her journey and what she was putting out there. So we couldn't wait to have her on. Yeah, and we thought, what a fun, revealing conversation, especially from someone younger. Julia identifies herself as on the cusp of the millennial and the Gen Z generations. So we found it really hopeful and enlightening to hear how Julia and her contemporaries are approaching all these challenges. And she was very open and transparent about her doubts and her frustrations and where she hit obstacles and where she even questioned herself in this journey. So Julia's currently in Chicago. That's where she recorded this interview from. And while she 
has a degree in fashion marketing and management from Savannah College of Art and Design. She is looking to pursue a master's degree in landscape architecture, and you'll hear her chat a little bit about her plans in the podcast. She is just so creative, and she's a wonderful storyteller, and we really enjoyed having her, and we hope that you enjoy and learn something as well. So here's Julia Blanford of the Seeking Sustainability podcast. My name is Julia Blanford. I just turned 24, so nearing my mid-20s, crazy time. I currently live in Chicago, Illinois, but I'm originally from Maryland, so grew up on the Chesapeake Bay. That was, you know, the environment was always intrinsically a part of my life, whether I realized it or not. I was never like an outdoorsy, feet-in-the-dirt kind of kid. That's like a very new thing for my brand identity. I lived in Savannah, Georgia for a few years. I attended the Savannah College of Art and Design, and that was pivotal because I had always wanted to go into the fashion industry, and not so much... When I say fashion industry, I mean like fashion industry, not apparel industry, but like when you think of Devil Wears Prada, Vogue, like the most stereotypical fashion industry you can think of, that's what I wanted to do. I was never outdoorsy. I was never into plants or animals, anything like that. All of that is super new. Fast forward to around junior year, I started on my own time, kind of in my classes, learning about the apparel industry from a broader spectrum or a broader scope, zooming out and realizing that, oh my gosh, this industry is so deeply corrupt and so damaging to the environment. And that not only is it a massive industry where we had been learning about it from a very like niche, again, like very stereotypical fashion standpoint, if that makes sense, that is actually this massive global industry that has a huge socioeconomic impact and has a huge environmental impact. And in tandem with that happening, I was like working at a yoga studio and I went vegan. I'm no longer vegan. I grew up in a hunting family. So, you know, so that all of that was kind of going hand in hand with me falling in love with, you know, environmentalism and having developing a relationship with the earth. And again, because I was from Maryland, where you learn about the Chesapeake Bay, that's part of your curriculum, environmentalism in some way even if I didn't realize it, was always a part of my life. So it just took me a while to discover it. I graduated in 2020, which was madness. Could not find a job. It took me a couple years to get like a full-time job. I was doing freelance work and working odd jobs. And I volunteered on a farm for a month, which was fun. But that was when I wanted to start the podcast because I realized, A, we're quarantined. So there's like, I'm not engaging with a lot of people. And B, I don't know, I'm a talker. So if it's not like the most millennial Gen Z thing to be like, if I have thoughts, let me publish them and put them on the internet. And plus, I was just such a, I'm such a curious person. As much as I love to talk, I do love to also listen to other people. And the world is filled with really fascinating people that have a lot of things to say and to teach us. So that was kind of my thought process behind starting the podcast. And now I'm in Chicago and that was a long spiel, but yeah, I'm a graphic designer currently. What brings you to Chicago? Is it a new job? Yeah, I was already eyeing Chicago anyways, because it's way cheaper than other major cities like New York and even DC and LA and other big cities. I got a job offer. It's a remote job, but the company's based in Chicago. So I wanted to move here anyways, and I love it. Have not experienced a Chicago winter yet. Very nervous. 
will definitely need to buy a parka, like literally a parka. So far, <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it here. And so tell us more about your starting the sustainability podcast and because you have such awesome topics on there and you've had some really cool people on. And I'm really interested in hearing your journey with sustainability and the kinds of things you've gotten to explore there and where that's taken you. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you. Someone also gave me that compliment the other day and I was like, dang, that's so nice. And also same to you guys. I was looking through your Instagram and Emma, I know I told you this, that like there are people that you guys have interviewed because you guys have interviewed just like a plethora of amazing people. And what you're doing is really similar to like my goal too, is just interviewing a really wide broad spectrum of people. But yeah, some of the people you've talked to are on my email list, which is really exciting. So like you said, a lot of cross pollination, which is super, super cool. But yeah, I started it, like I said, just kind of as a hobby, as a passion project. And like anything, no journey, so to speak, is linear or black and white. So I started it just as a way to have conversations with people. And another thing that I had thought of was, I believe that most people can develop an interest in, I don't want to say environment, well, yes, environmentalism, but also in the state of our planet and because we're all affected by it. And that someone's entry point to developing an interest in the environment might be different. So for someone, it might be honestly the most like hippy dippy crunchy granola conversation you could think of lights a light bulb for someone. And then for someone else, maybe the ocean, for someone else, maybe food and agriculture. For someone else, maybe like financial stuff and ESGs and things like that. So that was kind of why I wanted to have a really broad spectrum of topics because I don't know, you never know what might resonate with someone. And again, it's this a really, really, really broad web of a topic where there's so many different approaches you can take to environmentalism, yeah. entry points. Pause. What's the ESG? I don't know. What that An is. environmental sustainable governance. I didn't know what it was until okay. someone... I interviewed someone. Um, it has to do with investments. So cool. Um, so for people who are into like fintech investing. What about like crypto? Is it the same world or kind of different? I think it can. I don't know. I'm so bad at that. But okay. yeah, for like, for example. New podcast topic for us. New podcast topic, <laughs> right? But yeah, so environmental sustainable governance is that's what ESG stands for. I actually have cool. an episode coming out about that. Cool. That's we'll link it. Yeah. And I do have an episode about that that already came out that breaks that down with this woman who used to work in the finance, corporate finance world. So that one's really helpful. But yeah, my journey with sustainability. I mean, when I was in college, and I got into this thing we call environmentalism, it was like hardcore. I went from someone who was studying fashion and was always passionate about acquiring clothes and makeup, which is not always a bad thing. I don't think it's like makes sense to always label that as bad. Excessive consumerism as a systemic issue, yeah. But like people wanting to have a fun wardrobe and wear makeup, it's not bad. But I like went from that to being like, I'm going to go zero waste. I'm not going to wear makeup even though it's this thing that I loved, I am like only going to thrift. That is great for some people, but I've learned that does not work for me. Like it does not work for a lot of people. I think that's a really unrealistic standard to set for people. Again, to each their own. If someone wants to do that, that is, they have every right to. But yeah, so I went from this like super hardcore, almost obsessive take on it. And then now to like struggling financially after graduating college and being like, oh my gosh, I really just need to pay my bills. And I don't have the bandwidth to like think about these things as shallow as that might sound and oh a lot of my opinions on sustainability as impassioned as they were and like I honor myself for that a lot of them came from a place of ignorance and not understanding and where I had a lot of my needs met so I had the energy to funnel into this so right now I'm kind of trying to find 
figure out who I am as an environmentalist in my mid-20s, still trying to pay my bills and living in a big city where it's harder to be eco-friendly than in a house with a backyard and still loving the earth and still being an environmentalist at my core, maybe not being so diehard about it. But like, it's again, it's an ever-evolving journey like anything is. And that's kind of where I'm at now. It is something we circle around with our guests a lot. This whole idea of the whole range of being passionate about environmentalism and sustainability and love for the planet and it has many many expressions Mm, and it there's an entire continuum of behaviors that span the gamut so it's really hard to put it all into one little nugget and say one person is an environmentalist or not or it's live sustainably or not. It's just, it's too much of a, a squiggly thing to try to do that. As you have expressed, and I listened to your, your last podcast episode, I guess it's the most recent one where you reflect on, on your, your changing perspectives regarding environmentalism. I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit and some things you've learned and some, maybe some aha moments, some insights. And of course, you know, the more life experience we have and the more mature we get, you know, our ideas are going to change because we are evolving organisms called humans. And <laughs> that's what we do. So that year you took off from the podcast where you were sort of talking out loud about about your practices sounds like it was sort of an interesting time for you. So I invite you to talk about that. So I, you know, leaving college, you know, I was like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, COVID hit, but I was like, you know what, I am going to go into the apparel industry and like, I'm going to be a change maker and I'm going to do all of these things. And like, this is my calling. And I've never felt like more so like I meant to do any anything so, so much in my life. I was just so ready to go. And then reality hit. <laughs> I was sending hundreds. I cannot tell you how many like resumes I've sent out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And with all, which also come with, for reje- with rejection letters and the reality that the likelihood of me working for a quote unquote, the perfect company, which really doesn't exist, is pretty small that as an adult, and again, a lot of this comes with like naivety and ignorance. It's like you have bills to pay and like things like that. You, you know, don't, don't necessarily have like the time to just like wait for the perfect job. And I had thought I had found that I got a job offer. And as soon as I moved to the place that I was required to move to, I lost the job. And it was a really, really, really bad experience. It was one of the most like surprising and and strange experiences of my life. And I was like brand new, had only lived in this place for like two weeks, didn't know anyone, and it wasn't like a really hopping area. So that was really hard. And I just had to get odd jobs to like get by, which so I'm coming from someone, this sounds really, really lame, but coming from someone who went to like, you know, when you're SCAD, which is like one of the top art schools. And when you graduate, they're like, oh, you're going to get the best job because you went to the school. Mm. That is not true. And that's not, no institution has a right to claim that. And just, you know, that was like definitely hurt my pride a little bit. So it just worked odd jobs and stuff and was just, you know, it was a really, really, really hard year. And again, what I went through is not tragic in that like, I still had a roof over my head and food on my table and I was living in a great area. And I still have a college degree like I was still living in a lot of privilege so like I don't want it to make it sound like I had some sob story isn't the case I went through something that a lot of people go through and a lot of people go through in tandem with much worse things yeah but a lot of people don't talk about how hard it is so well thanks Um, (laughs) but yeah so that was just really hard and I just didn't have the bandwidth I was just so tired all the time from like working in long hours and working so like a couple different jobs and trying to figure out you just like 
how to, you know, get by and stuff like that. So yeah, it was just, it was tough. And I think, and I also had to realize like, oh, I can't be zero waste. I'm living in a town where like, I don't really have access to this this stuff, like a small town in the South. Mm -hmm. And I was eating a lot of things with canned beans, which like someone could argue isn't perfect. I don't know. I was just like, I mean, like, yeah, like I said, I was just trying to get by and buy things that I could afford, which it wasn't always like the fancy schmancy, like eco-friendly version of something. Yeah. And then I had, this is, doesn't seem relevant, but as someone who's always loved clothes, this was something I struggled with. I put on a lot of weight just from like health issues. And so like, I literally couldn't like shopping became more difficult. And so that changed my perspective on things. And like, I also couldn't afford the cool eco-friendly brands that I was talking about in college and like touting and stuff. And I didn't wear any of those brands because I never bought them anyways. You're like, one day I'll buy these when I graduate college and have a job. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I know I feel like I'm probably talking in circles here, but I think my perspective shifted in that I was like, we just have to do what we can with what we have and what we have, meaning not just like fiscally or financially, but also energetically, mentally, physically, the resources we have. I had access in college to a lot of resources, even though I was in a small town where that wasn't the most like environmentally friendly. It was in Savannah in college, but I had a lot of my needs met. I was going to a nice, nice school and I didn't have to work. I I did work a job in college for some time, but I didn't have to all the time. Oh my gosh. The dining hall, dining hall in college. Hello. It's everything. Yeah. (laughs) And like, so I had my needs met and I had the bandwidth to think about other issues and things like that. And a lot of people, most people don't. Most people don't have access to fancy grocery stores. Most people can't afford that. The world is not made to live in a sustainable way, if that makes sense. And that the way products have been developed, the way packaging has been developed, the way supply chains have been developed are not made to work in alignment with the earth. So I used to want to be zero waste. I don't think that's reasonable to tell someone that they should work towards that. I think if someone wants to strive towards that on their own terms, absolutely go for it. But that's not a reasonable or realistic goal to have. And that's just my opinion. Again, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think people creating zero waste content and products are doing wonderful work, but that's a lot of pressure to put on consumers. And again, nothing is black and white. So being someone who came from a background in the studying the apparel industry fast fashion yes is a terrible corrupt a systemically problematic industry that has a huge negative environmental and human impact but at the same time it has given people access to inexpensive clothing that's stylish doesn't mean it's a good thing at all it doesn't mean it should exist at all but nothing's black and white and so I think yeah I think my mind just opened a little bit and again nothing that I'm saying is revolutionary or that it's nothing new it just dawns on took a little bit of time to dawn on me so that's kind of where my perspective changed it's really great and it's very cool that you're able to articulate it and say it out loud because a lot of people don't want to say that stuff it's a hard conversation to have and you know some people might have an experience like that and decide they were just going to close their mouth about it because in their mind they they failed or fell short and like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that was a thing I was on, but I'm not doing that anymore. But you have the courage to come out and say, you. I, you know, things have shifted for me and they shift for all of us. They shift for all of us all the time. Life ebbs and flows. Like mm-hmm. I, I absolutely felt like I failed. A, I felt like, I remember the, like when I, my senior year of college in my program, I was like the environmentalist girl. And that's 
what I did all my projects about. And I remember this girl coming up to me and being like, you are the epitome of someone who have found your calling and passion. And that has like stuck with me and that it was a compliment, but in some ways, not in a bad way, but it kind of haunted me. Like I was like, oh my God, did I abandon my passion? I still feel like that. Did I abandon my passion? Yeah. Did I abandon the thing that I meant to do? Oh, Julia, I just want to give you a hug. You're so sweet. (laughs) You're so, you have so much in front of you. <laughs> and so I was like, dang, did I like, if I, I've always been a career driven person. I went to a university where everyone is super talented and career driven. So like for my job, and this happens, I'm sure pretty much everyone for my career prospects and path to not go the way I thought it was going to go and still isn't like it hurts your pride and it kind of makes you a little jaded, but like, it's also just reality. And like, it doesn't mean you should quit or give up. Yeah. And that's where I'm, I'm, I'm now. I'm just kind of figuring out how to balance it out and it'll probably never be perfect, but it never hurts to try. Yeah. Well, I think the term environmentalism is several decades old. I think it, but maybe we could argue that it started maybe in the seventies with Earth Day and I think the Earth Day started in the seventies. I'm not sure. That sounds right. And like the litter bug campaign. Yeah, don't be a litter bug. Now that was the 60s. But in my mind, I'm thinking the term environmentalism started like in the 70s. But I want to say that we're so far beyond that now. We're so far beyond whether or not you care for, quote unquote, the environment. Because even that way of thinking kind of sets us apart as humans from the planet and Mm. I think where we're moving now is like we're not separate from the planet we are the planet we are nature we are part of the system even though for thousands of years we've been behaving as if we are not part of the system so now we're, we're getting it I think at some level a lot of conversations, a lot of news about what climate change is doing to us weather-wise and event-wise. And I think it's seeping into the collective conscious that this is not just about how you as an individual treat the environment. This is how, as a human race, how are we going to shift our way of being on the planet on a very, very huge scale? And that is enough to blow any individual's mind (laughs) because it's like, what can I do. What can Mm -hmm. I do? And whether or not you choose coffee in a takeout cup with a plastic lid or not, is that really going to shift things? And probably not, you know? (laughs) I don't know if there could be enough refusal of coffee cup lids to make a dent in this whole situation. There could. And there could be, I'm a fan of corporate responsibility. And if Starbucks said, we're not making plastic coffee cup lids anymore, that might make a difference, you know, but yeah, well, that's kind of what I'm getting to like individual choices. Yes, they matter. Yes, they accumulate all of that. But I think they matter mostly. This is where I think all those behaviors matter the most in cultivating a real inner passion as individuals that yeah. spreads. It spreads throughout your own life and it spreads to people around you and you wake people up to things that you've learned or things you know or things you're doing and you talk about it. You talk about it on a podcast, you talk about it to your friends and that person goes, gosh, you know, I never thought about that. And it spreads and in- increases until you- the collective becomes more of a force of change. Yeah. And that passion is not a right and wrong and if you want to be environmentally friendly, then you must use a metal straw and not ever have a to-go cup. Absolutely. Yeah. I stand by the fact that like nothing is black and white right. for the most part and good and bad isn't 
always black and white even, and that's a loaded statement, but there's no formula for what it means to be an environmentalist. Like, again, for someone that might mean having the most quote unquote environmentally friendly product, no product is perfect. That's literally impossible. If it has, if it's part of a supply chain, like it, you know, there's, which everything is like, it's not perfect. So there's no formula. I think that like, yeah, everyone is different as a collective consciousness our mentality is not going to be the same from person to person. No one is going to be exactly the same. So that's why like, I try to keep a really open mind. Like I come from a hunting family. Then I went vegan and thought that that was like the superior, that was like the answer. It was veganism. So veganism is, if you're vegan, you were doing more for the environment than someone who eats meat. I personally now disagree with that because once I started learning about agriculture, took regenerative agriculture courses, started reading books about regenerative grazing and things like that. I was like, oh, Actually, animals are meant to be a part of the ecosystem. That's why they exist. But anytime any system is industrialized, which is just the reality of our industries now, it's going to have a negative impact. So yeah, it's all like nothing is, no system is perfect. Nothing is black and white. Everyone is different. And if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, I think that there's just no formula. Yeah, you bring up the veganism and then talking about in college how things were just easier for you. Yeah. And that reminds me of, I went to a small school in the South too. I went to Swanee in Tennessee and we okay. had an amazing dining hall. And I remember actually when I was there, sort of the first or second year, there was a big student like groundswell movement to like, we need to start a farm on the, there used to be a farm on the University of course, because oh, it's so cool. in the middle of Tennessee. And, Tennessee, yeah. Yeah, but then they outsourced to Cisco or whatever. So when I was there, the big movement was let's get farm food back in the dining hall. And now I'm pretty sure the dining hall is like mostly farm table, which is really cool. Anyways, when I was there, they probably still do have a vegan line, like just a line that you would walk there and it was all vegan food. Yeah. And so people would just decide, oh, I'm going to be vegan. Maybe that's this meal. Maybe that's I'm being vegan now forever. Maybe that's every Monday I'm going to eat vegan. And just sort of that ability to make that decision and have it right in front of you at like accessible in that way. And also you felt at that time, it felt so good. Like you were doing something so good by like eating from the vegan line. And (laughs) knowing what I know. And you're like, I have this name badge now. I am a vegan environmentalist. And again, that's nothing bad. There is nothing wrong with that. I eat a lot of plant based meals. The umbrella view of like what goes in, it's that food was no different from the other food. It was all the same supply chain food, monocult, you know, it's all the right. same stuff. But it's so funny how I guess we're just emotional humans and we want to feel good and like we're doing good. Yeah. And if a word can make us feel good, then we latch onto it and we tell other people they should do that too because that makes us feel better I don't know I just that's no I agree and it's funny because like I don't even really use the word sustainability ironic because my podcast is called seeking sustainability I'm not going to change it because like I'm a sucker for good like alliteration but it's a catchy name sustainability I mean what even is that sustaining the way the state of the planet at the moment that's do we want that like (laughs) no like um, I don't want to be sustaining this (laughs) like what like what even it's such a yeah so basically everything's a hodgepodge of confusion um nothing is black and white and I mean everything I use this analogy constantly because it's the best one I can think of that this thing we call sustainability is like a never-ending onion I mean even if you take like uh, something like a vegan food product and say this one is better 
and then you peel back the layers of what went into it. Where was it processed? How was it packaged? How are the beans that are in this grown and harvested? Does that make it better? Or yeah, I mean, line it up next to like a cow, you know, beef. How was it grazed? How much methane did it like release? Was there runoff into the water from the farm to the nearby waterway? Like it, it is so complex. Yeah. So reflecting on your story, Em, about college and the vegan line and how that was like right in front of you at the moment and just an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And also your story, Julia, about your year and trying to make ends meet and worried about your job and all that sort of thing. And also what you said about the world was not created to live sustainable. It's just not. The products that are accessible the food that's easily accessible, the clothing that's affordable and accessible, all these things are degenerative to the planet. They're, and they're degenerative to other humans, degenerative yeah. to our health. But the systems that are in place, they are in place. And it takes a lot of effort, a lot of knowledge, in many cases, a lot of money, not all cases. Yep to go around the systems and to do things outside of the systems. And those are things we talk about a lot in our community and our podcast. And you talk about a lot on your podcast, I'm sure. Yeah. How to get around some of these things, you know, small behaviors that we can adopt to lead our lives less entrenched in the systems. So I wanted to explore this idea and you touched on a little bit, the idea of sustainability, sustainable living and privilege. And it really takes a certain amount of privilege to be able to engage in this and to engage in really practicing this, to buy the more expensive clothing or to buy the organic food or to go seek out the farmer's market, the farm fresh to food. To even have and access to the information. To have access to that. To A, know it exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You need to have access and like a lot of people live in food deserts. There's a lot, a lot of it has to do with where you are and how you are able to even, as you say, be aware of these things, much less adapt them into your lifestyle. And this is a really big question, but how can we engage in the conversation without that getting in the way? Because sustainability is something that we want to benefit all humans and all of creation. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like, we back off of the conversation because there is so much privilege attached to it in people's minds that almost it almost kind of shuts things down. People don't want to talk about it because they almost feel apologetic about it. Does that make any sense? Because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. I think with progress and change, uncomfortable conversations are inevitable. And I think one of the best things we can do is look outside of ourselves and realize that we as individuals are not all-knowing. We do not have all the answers, but a lot of other people possess a ton of knowledge and they have stories and ideas and expertise too that we don't possess. Yeah. I think it's really common like for my generation, and this isn't a kind of conversation I grew up having literally until recently, is like racial privilege, big factor, big, huge, huge factor. Urban planning and infrastructure and the education people have access to, that is not coincidence. The land that people have access to for agriculture is not coincidence. Like there are so many systemic issues that have built up to limit the things that people of color have access to. And that's something that like, again, I'm saying these things, but I also like don't come from a place of inherent deep knowing when it comes to things like that. I'm white. I grew up in a pretty like privileged, like middle-class family in where I had access to it. I went to public school that, but it was like a good public school. I had a good education, had access to college, all of these different things, access to clean air, clean water, good food. My fridge was always full, all of these things. 
And a lot of it now for me, again, I am by no means perfect. Like I still have a lot of, lot, a lot of learning to do. And that's something that I'm wanting to explore more with my podcast is bringing a wider variety of voices onto the podcast to engage in conversation. Yeah, I think it's holding ourselves accountable as adults to learn the things we don't know and also sometimes learn how to hush up and listen to other people too, Mm -hmm. whose voices have been, you know, silenced or overlooked or oppressed. So I think, yeah, but we have to have these conversations in order to move forward. And then in that, I think we can create a greater sense of community too, if that makes any sense, like bringing together different voices. And I have had access to a lot and there was a lot I didn't know and a lot of mistakes I've made and a lot of things that I've expressed coming from a place of ignorance, which is inevitable, you know, we're all human. But I think for me now, it's like, okay, now that I claim to be an environmentalist and there's this thing I'm really passionate about, how can I hold myself accountable and learn more and become more aware and become more empathetic? I think empathy is huge. I know empathy for the earth, empathy for animals, empathy for other people, empathy for the ancestors of people, empathy for communities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list could go on and on. It also made me think a lot about, I just kept coming up when you were talking about how when you think about really what sustainability means and really what zero waste means, and you say, you think about, oh, well, how did our grandmothers do it? How did our great grandmothers do it? A lot of times it has to do with spending no money. And when did doing the least wasteful thing and the best thing for the planet get turned around and become the thing that you can only buy at Whole Foods or whatever? Oh my gosh, that is such a good point. I remember asking my grandma and my grandma like is not like she's not she doesn't like sew or knit or like Mm -hmm. like can't like she's not like into any of that. And I remember asking her one time, I was like, would you ever can something? And she was like, why in the world? But I want to can't like what? And I remember talking to my mom about it because her mom was born in the 20s and she was like super crafty and canned and mended and cooked and sewed. And she always said that like these things that we now consider a novelty, which is not a bad thing. I think it's great that like we're exploring these things and Mm -hmm. romanticizing canning. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time, they were necessities. They were things Mm -hmm. that people had to do. People farmed and had gardens because they had to. And I do think it's wonderful for us to explore that. But yeah, it's funny that it's now a trend. And it's also, I remember seeing, it was like a TikTok or Instagram video of people, you know, saving their containers and how it's trendy. Like it's cool to save your containers, which like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I saved my containers, but like there were people in the comments who were like, my parents, like we were so poor that we always did that. And it wasn't like containers. Yeah. Yeah. So I love how you say that's not a necessity, but what if that's part of the answer? Like what if part of the answer to this problem is that we make these things that we think are more work or boring or whatever reason that we're not canning and sewing our own clothes besides to make beautiful TikToks, which is like another conversation. What if that's part of the answer, you know, doing a little bit more with our hands and separating from the supply chain or extracting ourselves from the supply chain and not contributing as consumers. I mean, I don't know how you would feel about that statement. I just sort of put it out there. But that kind of goes into the privilege thing. And that's something that I thought about a lot. Because that's a good point. That would totally be that's something that, you know, more people should do and things like that. But then it's also hard because it's like, well, what if someone works multiple jobs? Or what if someone doesn't really have like the counter space to do something like that? Or again, it's tricky. It's so complex. And that's not to say that like those things shouldn't happen. Of course, they should like, just because like I say it's impossible to be perfect in an imperfect world. And that seems like at face value, a pessimistic statement, but it doesn't mean that we can't 
or shouldn't try to do better and be better, think outside the box and have these conversations. But it's tricky because again, nothing's black and white and nothing can be a blanket statement for everyone. So some people will absolutely have the bandwidth and interest to can and garden and compost, but other people might not. So it's tricky. It's tricky. There's Mm -hmm. no like one solution. I think it's that in tandem with a million other things that could be done. So then I want to ask the question, but then why? Where's my bandwidth going? If I have to work three jobs, is it so that I can have enough money to put food on the table that I could be not working one of those jobs and grow and can my own food? (laughs) What's the trade-off here? What's the, where have we been told, sold? And to me personally, it usually comes back to, I sound like a crazy anti-capitalist person, but it's something where it's like we're in this system that was designed (laughs) to make a lot, a very small amount of people very wealthy and the rest of us don't matter. And also the earth doesn't matter. And so why are we on this hamster wheel within the system being like, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. I think we kind of need to like go find another... Like, get off the hamster wheel. No, like, we're all cogs in the wheel that we, like, have to be a part of in literally order to survive, like, mm-hmm. in order to get by. It's so tricky. There's, like, no perfect answer. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I think it just depends on the individual. Like, for you personally, as Emma, as someone who's passionate about the environment and, like, you know, your mom has a farm, which is so cool. Yeah, maybe for you personally, it would be quitting that job and growing your own food. And I think, like, I'm super passionate about gardening. Am I good at it? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> that, that knowledge has kind of been lost. It's not, not, not something that we pass down anymore. But I can definitely relate to that. And I, I think that, you know, things like that are something we should talk about more and introduce to people and have workshops or maybe single moms or, like, things like that, teaching people skills that used to be considered, like... <laughs> practically like peasant skills like like yeah. things that the, the normal working class did but also once upon a time but also it's tricky like you know that was in an era where a lot of a lot of women didn't work and so their day consisted of doing those things of course. Um, homemaking skills mm-hmm. so yeah again it's I feel like I keep coming black back to like it's not black and white which seems like there's no solution mm-hmm. and that's totally not the case but I think it just depends on the person but yeah I mean regarding the system that we're in whew, that's hefty I mean you're right that's honestly what it comes back to if you really like break it down. It's like systemic mm-hmm. issues. So it's interesting to be talking to someone your age or amongst our youngest yes. guests, I think. Yeah. And so considering our whole audience, I think there is a segment of our audience of people that listen to this podcast and, and follow us and have read our book, The Guide to Slow Living, that are very interested in sort of sidestepping the systems. Yeah. So from your age group, what do you see in your contemporaries? Where are they with these things? Ooh, what are the youth doing these days? Hmm, I don't know. I'm very hip. It's funny because I actually, this is going to sound irrelevant, I actually was in the running to get casted for a reality TV show that was supposed to be like cottagecore themed. What that entails, I don't know. But that is relevant. That's relevant. It's funny, and I don't think you're not the first podcast guest to tell us about this. I think someone else we talked to oh, was also going to do it. I didn't. No, they did not. She was like, I didn't want to do it when they told me what it was. I kind of would have gotten a kick out of that. But um, no, You totally would have. You'd have been great. Thank you. Sorry, tell me more. <laughs> I think like there are trends that exist. Okay, let's take cottagecore, for example. It's a huge trend. It's like on TikTok and some people just do it for the aesthetic, whatever. There's validity to that. There's validity when you're talking about slow living to if you have, you know, the space and time, 
to romanticize the idea of cooking a loaf of bread or baking a loaf of bread and going to the farmer's market and making it cool. Again, not all people have access to those things, but romanticizing, thrifting, like all of these things that we could call slow living, like drying herbs and Mm -hmm. things like that. Like even if you buy, okay, so sometimes I will buy herbs because the farmer's market that is closest to me, even in Chicago is a 40 minute walk away, which is nuts. So sometimes I'll buy bundles of herbs from a conventional market and I'll hang them upside down instead of like, and dry them instead of throwing out the excess. That doesn't answer your question though. But anyways, I think that there are like trends that are happening on TikTok and stuff that are shedding light on slow living, whether it is framed in the light of like eco-friendly, zero waste living or cottage core, calling it like this romantic peasanty, like, you know, slow living lifestyle. Or yeah, I think a lot of it is rooted in like social media trends, people seeing things on TikTok. That's huge. So I think what I see people doing. So this is something we talked about in my program too, is like for Gen Z, whether I'm millennial or Gen Z, I'm somewhere on the cusp, but for the the Gen Z generation, some people perceive this generation as like all talk, no action in regards to their consumer Mm -hmm. behavior. Right, because they're very like sustainable fashion, but then they they are funding Shein, so. Yes, and that is true and that is wrong. But with that said, they don't have the buying power right now. Right. So like, what are they going to do from a consumer standpoint, Mm -hmm. like on a large scale, if they don't have buying power, spending power? Now, when they're in their 30s and 40s and they have spending power, oh my gosh, also that generation is in like political offices and things like that. The world is going to be a different place. But I think that definitely conversation in general is something that's super big amongst young people, just being open, talking in an unfiltered way, engaging in conversation, talking about politics, racial justice, the intersection between all of those things and the environment. Intersectional Environmentalist is a really great organization that does exactly that and is to me very, very Gen Z and markets to that generation and Mm -hmm. people who are older and making videos on TikTok that are being shared. And again, like romanticizing these ideas that zero waste living or slow living or gardening. And I, yeah, so I think just like social media spreading and sharing ideas and opening up conversations and talking to one another. What about the outside of social media, like maybe at work or, you know, when you're hanging out at a, out on the weekend or whatever, do you hear people your age talking about, what do you hear them talking about in terms of consumerism and environmentalism and what are they talking about person to person, not what are they putting on social media? I am like literally a hermit. Um, so I that's about the worst young person to ask. No, but I think it's probably reflective, honestly, especially with COVID. I'm like, gosh, who do I talk to? Um, that's interesting. Again, that would like differ from friend group to friend group. It's interesting. This makes me think of my brother. So I have a twin brother and he is Republican. We're so night and day, but he is like always who I think of when I think of the average consumer or something. Like he doesn't really care. I can't say he doesn't care about environmentalism because he's so outdoorsy, but mm-hmm. it, it's interesting because what this question makes me think of is he was talking about his new friends that he has in the city that he lives in and they're all super liberal and they're all his like roommate is vegan and like thrifts and does all these things this like cool hip guy but he's he's vegan he like does secondhand shopping my brother was like what is this world and like yeah this is what the kids are doing so I think people are doing things thrifting is something that's really really big that is from a consumer standpoint that is huge Rich, poor, whatever, you thrift. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the secondhand clothing industry, like any other industry, is not perfect. But Mm -hmm. I think the idea of, you know, reusing, recycling, 
is great. To make that trendy is awesome. I definitely see people using their tote bags and stuff. That is popular. Carrying around their water bottle, that is popular. Doesn't mean every single person does it. Fast fashion, yeah, is big. But I think it also, yeah, depends on who you're surrounding yourself with, depends on area you're living in. I think, I don't know, I think we're moving in the right direction. And I would say outside of social media, but trends don't even exist outside of social media for, for my generation. Ooh, well, that's yeah. a statement. That is a statement <laughs> right Whether there. Whether it is or not, like we are, unless you are completely, I can't even say that because unless, even if you don't have an account, if your friend does something and is like, oh my gosh, I found this cool coffee shop that is like low weight or I found look at this cool like these cool pants I got from Goodwill you're being influenced by the people around you whether you realize it or not and they might have been influenced or were likely influenced by social media and social media isn't just like photos we see it's videos it's articles it's Mm -hmm. podcasts it's people's opinions it's people's people's, opinions it's people's spins on stuff too we are no longer siloed only to our own communities we are living a very global interconnected experience so that might be a loaded statement and some people might find that incorrect i'm not saying that it's correct but (laughs) my perspective as someone who's in their you know early mid-20s is that trends don't really exist outside of social media correct or incorrect or i just think it's i don't think you can put it in either category it's just it's a fascinating statement it's really it's a fascinating comment on some, you know, someone your age and your perspective. So, wow, I'm going to have to think so about that one a lot. And again, social media isn't perfect. I mean, I am very for it. I was very late on the TikTok bandwagon. Is there strange, inappropriate, weird stuff that exists on TikTok? Absolutely. Like anywhere on the internet. Yeah. But with that said, I've seen some of the coolest videos on there and people who are makers, creators, thought leaders who talk about the most niche things or are scientists or mm-hmm. things like that who would have never been discovered otherwise. And Same. I'm such a TikTok convert and I'm like so old and I started watching TikTok <laughs> in like 2020. We should one, start so. swapping TikToks. And <laughs> yeah. But I think even like, and again, this might seem so random and irrelevant, but like, I think of my brother, like he hunts, but he has sent me so many TikToks of like animals. And he's like, wow, look at this like baby seal. And I'm like, it's opening people's eyes. Like it's doing the work. Like, like it truly, he'll be like, wow, look at this pig. Like baby pigs are the cutest. And like, you might be thinking, but like, you know, I don't know. It's shedding light on like some of the wonders of the world. You mentioned slow living a couple of times. And I'm going to put a little caveat on this question for you. See see what you think. I want to know what slow living means to you Mm. without social media as part of the answer. Like Julia's world without TikTok or without what you've seen as slow living. What do you think slow living actually means? Well, to preface, to preface before I even fully answer with social media, social media hinders slow living I think I think in some ways it introduces you to a lot of wonderful ideas crafts recipes things like that that can get your creative juices flowing and introduce you to things that you didn't think of before that you can incorporate into your life with that said living in our digital world looking at our screens all the time it's fast paced you're constantly refreshing I constantly am refreshing so living means a lot of things I think it's almost self-explanatory and that it's slowing down it doesn't necessarily mean doing less I don't know how to do less I am a busy bee. I do a lot and like nothing all at once. I can't explain. Same. I have Same. to justify Same. that. But like, but for me, okay, I love to cook. And I discovered my love of cooking. I've always had a terrible relationship with food. I discovered my love of cooking when in college when I started making stew. I'm quite literally thinking of writing my grad school admission essay about stew. And this is, let me explain why, because it, it ties into living. This is like my analogy metaphor. I am an anxiety ridden, like 
all over the place kind of person. I'm so ADD. My boyfriend like watches me throughout the day and he's just like, what am I witnessing? Um, the chaos. But when I was in college on Sundays, found this routine where I would go to this little crunchy granola market and it was more expensive, but I would like allot myself like $20 and only get what I needed, only the vegetables I needed. And I would go home. I'd walk there, walk back, which was a slower route than driving, but I loved the walk. And it was on those walks that I learned how to identify certain plants and flowers and things like that in my neighborhood. And I would take as long as I wanted to cut my vegetables. I would cut my vegetables and I would saute my onions and my herbs and I would let that stew simmer. And I started baking some of my own bread. It's not something I always do, but I also would buy bread from this little local bakery that was one of the only bakeries in town and use butter and I would eat this stew and it was just a wholesome nourishing experience for the body and the soul. It wasn't a fancy meal. It wasn't anything spectacular, but it took me a while to make and I enjoyed the process and it calmed me down. And it's something about it, simple meal, simple bowl of stew with vegetables, whatever, that arguably once upon a time would have been considered a peasant meal, felt right to eat and to make. Something about it felt ancestral. And I think that's why people to make stew. Someone who's listening to this can be like, and what is her TED talk? <laughs> but the point of that is that enjoying the process, slowing down, appreciating the feeling of the vegetables in your hand, and then thinking, where did this come from? Because like, what an intimate thing for someone to grow a vegetable, pick it, it gets shipped, and then you eat it and enjoy it in a bowl of stew. It was with that bowl of stew that, this is my grad essay, guys, what I'm planning on doing. I learned to appreciate vegetables. And I learned to appreciate this neighborhood market. And I learned to appreciate how good high quality butter is on bread. That's slow living. I think it's like appreciating simplicity. It doesn't mean you have to be a minimalist. It doesn't mean you have to bake all of your own bread or sew all of your own clothes. But to sit and mend a pair of jeans, even if it looks awful, or to bake a loaf of bread to share with people, to make a pot of your favorite meal or your favorite stew and enjoy the process and think about the story behind the vegetables and the hands that those vegetables went through and the dirt, the soil that it came from, and then how, what a wonderful thing it ended up in your hands in a bowl. That's solidity. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I love it. And also, I bet that <laughs> stew didn't cost you much money at the end of the nope. day. It costed me nothing. Yeah. yeah. And that was one of my, it's one of my favorite meals to make. I love to cook. I baked banana bread this morning for a friend. And something that I love about it too, and I think food is one of the best entry points to talk about the environment, to talk about the good and the bad of the world is because it's something that connects all of us, that how crops ended up in a certain place has a story, how recipes ended up the way they are has a story. And when you really, really look at the food you eat and like think about it, like really think about it, you're like, oh my gosh, the earth is so cool. Like, dang, like these beans, like this apple, I bought some apples from the farmer's market. And I'm just like, you just forget that they grow on trees sometimes because yeah. you get them from the grocery store. So that's slow living. I think is sitting and thinking and feeling and engaging with whatever you're doing. Oof. So good, Julia. Oh, yes. And I think that leads right into the next question is what does the good dirt mean to you? And you can, of course, answer that any way you want. <laughs> it's so funny because like the first thing that came to my mind was like, mm, the good dirt, like the good gossip, the 411. No, when I think of the good dirt, oh God, this is probably a bad answer, but I just think of super healthy soil. Yeah. That's the good dirt. Like the good dirt is like, okay. And then if I think of super healthy soil, what if that's a starting point, then what comes from super healthy soil? super healthy vegetables and then super healthy people and then basically the world just becomes a better place with some really good dirt so yeah 
I, and then I think from the perspective of your podcast, okay, how cool is it that a mother-daughter duo is telling the stories and sharing the stories and voices of so many different people from around the world and that you guys came together to create an awesome passion project and getting to make new friends and share ideas through your love of the earth. And that's pretty cool. Like that is pretty amazing that we live in a world where that can exist. So yeah, I think that's also a darn cute name. But when I, think <laughs> good, when I think of the good dirt, I think when I think good dirt, I think healthy soil and healthy soil is the foundation for everything. It is the foundation. If I were to like bring arguably incorrect because there is no singular as we've concluded in this podcast episode, nothing's black and white. But if I were to say like there was some single, hypothetically speaking, some single solution to healing the earth, it would be good soil, good dirt. I agree. <laughs> we agree. Yeah. And so many people we talk to agree about that, that that's where it begins. That's where the healing begins. It does. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. And before we close, is is there anything else you want to talk about or anything else you want to leave people with? I think one, so something that I ask at the end of my podcast is as an individual an environmentalist or as a mother, an environmentalist, as a business owner, environmentalist, what gives you hope for the future? And I feel like a lot of the things that I said where I was like, mm, you can't be perfect or like nothing's black and white or blah, blah, blah. It sounds pessimistic. It's not. I think that it's important to be realistic and to have these conversations and take everything into consideration. But at the end of the day, to still be hopeful and to, yeah, just to have hope. It sounds cheesy, but to tie back to Mary, when you asked me about my evolving perspective on environmentalism before, I think my passion was coming from a place of rage and frustration, which is very valid. And I still have that. But now for me, you know, in the future, I want to be a landscape architect and design gardens professionally. I want to do that because my love for the earth comes from a place of wonder. It comes from a place of like, just being so curious and just fascinated and excited and just like genuinely loving all that the earth has to offer, which includes, you know, people, plants, etc., water, air, and these like mundane things are actually so magical and incredible as like woo-woo as that sounds. But yeah, I think just stay hopeful and stay curious and full of wonder. And I think if people do that, their eyes will be so opened and they can take it from there. Ah, thank you. I agree. Beautiful. <laughs> Where can people find you if they want to find you and okay well if someone wants to find me they can find my podcast it's seeking sustainability you can find it on spotify apple podcasts i believe google podcasts as well and then the instagram is at seeking sustainability.pod a little lengthy i tried to shorten it and there wasn't any available um and then you can also follow my personal instagram which is at julia.blanford so yeah and i'll have some new episodes coming out and you know, new content and stuff now that I'm getting back into the groove of doing it. And thank you so much for having me, guys. You guys are so lovely. And when I'm home back home in Maryland, if you ever want to get together. Yeah. Yeah. Let us know. It's so fun. And thanks so much for your time today and your honesty and your openness. And it's just really, really fun to talk to you and get your perspective on everything. Yeah. Thanks, guys. You guys are so fun. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. You guys are so lovely and sweet and fun. And the work you're doing is wonderful. Yeah. If you ever want to do something else in the future, let me know. I don't know what that yeah. would be, but there's always fun things to be done. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much, Julia. Thank you. Have a great know. day. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. 
You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at WeAreLadyFarmer. That's WeAreLadyFarmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.